Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you this morning. Um, I'm going to begin my message here with a short children's class. If the children want to come forward to these seats here. Last time I checked, John didn't have a patent on his uh, pre-sermon children's class, so I'm going to uh, take a shot at that. All right, good morning, children. I have a story to tell you this morning. And uh, before I tell you the story, though, I have a question for you. Do any of you know what a parasite is? Sophie? Okay, yeah, it's like a bug that attaches itself to people and animals. It's some kind of bug or animal that lives off of something else and doesn't give back anything worthwhile in return. So like ticks and those kind of things. So we're going to talk a little bit about a parasite later. But I'm going to tell you a story about a little hive of honeybees. And some of you might even, this might even sound familiar to some of you because you were actually there. But um, this was a small hive of honeybees, but it was a happy and healthy hive. Um, the workers, they were going in and out, enjoying the warm spring weather, collecting colorful pollen and nectar to bring back to feed their friends back at the hive. And the queen was back in the hive, uh, safely tucked away, getting busy laying eggs for the year. Well, one day, one warm spring day, um, some visitors showed up at the hive. And these visitors, they flew in and landed at the entrance to the hive. They were little black bugs that were about the size of a ladybug, but they were shiny and black. And here's a picture. Of course, this is very enlarged. They were only about the size of a ladybug. And they have legs and a head, but when they want to, they can just kind of tuck it all up under themselves, almost like a turtle. And they're really slippery and have a really shiny black shell. So these little beetles flew up to the hive entrance and they tried to slip in unnoticed. But the bees that were guarding the entrance of the hive pounced on them and they were biting them and they tussled them back to the entrance of the hive and they tumbled out onto the ground because they didn't want these beetles in the hive. Well, these little black beetles... They knew that a cold night was coming and they needed a warm place to be, so they tried again. And finally, a few of them uh, slipped through all the confusion and tussling at the entrance of the hive and scurried in unnoticed into the hive. And once they were in the hive, they ran along the dark corners trying to avoid confrontations with the bees because every time they ran into a bee, the bee would inhospitably just tackle them and try to wrestle them back out of the hive. Well, they would just curl up their little legs and they were so slippery that the bees couldn't even get a good grip on them and then they would scurry off and find another dark place to hide. Well, this went on for days and then weeks. The beetles received warmth from the honeybees um, but and they were able to eat some of the bees' honey and, and pollen, but the bees just kind of kept them cornered in dark corners, and the beetles weren't able to really get a good beetle family established. Well, one March day, uh, the sunny spring weather disappeared, and 
a cold drizzle fell outside, kind of like today, but colder. It almost felt like winter again. So the bees, they just stayed inside their cozy little hive, keeping each other warm and waiting for the next warm day. But the next day was cold too. And the day after that was cold. And slowly the bees' supply of honey dwindled away. And until one cold day, it completely disappeared. And suddenly the happy little hive was no longer a cozy place to be anymore. Without the honey, the bees had no way to keep warm. And so they huddled in a little ball around their queen, trying to save what little energy they had left. But what about the beetles? Were they getting cold too? Were they going to starve? Oh no, this was just what they had waited for. With all the honeybees huddled in a little ball at the bottom of the hive, they could just run wild in the rest of the hive, and there was nobody to stop them. They had just enough warmth to start raising their beetle family, and they wasted no time in laying hundreds and then thousands of eggs all throughout the hive that was unguarded. Soon these eggs turned into thousands of little worms that were crawling all over the comb and eating the bees that were dying uh, in, the, in the comb. When the weather did get warm, the bees were too weak to go get more nectar. And other beetles smelled the successful beetle family in the hive, and they came and joined their friends and poured into the entrance with no one to stop them. Hundreds of beetles ran wild all over the hive, breaking into cells and eating the growing bees. And the bees knew that this was a problem. And they tried hard to stop them, but wave after wave of beetles just kept pouring in and, and just overwhelming them. And it was hopeless. There was nothing they could do to stop the beetles. The beetles were in control of the hive and the bees were going to die. Now, that's kind of a sad place to stop our story. And fortunately, that's not quite the end of the story. Um, but you're going to have to listen up to catch the rest of the story later this morning. This morning, I want to talk about thoughts. Now, we know thoughts can be good and thoughts can be bad. But bad thoughts, uh, they can enter our minds uh, unexpectedly when we see something or we hear a bad joke uh, thoughts can spring up from inside of us when somebody is mean to us, they butt in line, or they um, maybe purposely try to get us out in a game or treat us unfairly. We have suddenly have an angry thought uh, towards them. And these thoughts are kind of like parasites, um, just like the shiny black beetles, these thoughts our problem and need to be dealt with. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You can go back to your parents. So does it matter what I think? Um, it's just my thoughts after all. Uh, I might be upset at my friend who just cut in line in front of me, but um, I wouldn't actually do anything to him, and I might not even say anything mean. Um, I can't really help the way I feel, after all, can I? Uh, does it matter what I think? There were 
there was a scribe that came up to Jesus one day and asked him what the first commandment was. And Jesus told him, uh, he quoted Deuteronomy, and he said, uh, Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord, the Lord is one, and you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So there's no part of us that is exempt from devotion to God. He wants all of us. God is holy, and we're not loving him when we think sinful thoughts or when we entertain thoughts about behavior that's contrary to God's character. We're not respecting him when we think negative thoughts about ourselves or how he created us. And what we think matters because... God wants all of us, including our minds. And then Jesus went on to say the second commandment is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, none of us like when, um, when people think negative or critical thoughts, unkind thoughts about us, and therefore we shouldn't harbor such thoughts towards our neighbor. We can't do that and fulfill this commandment. Our thoughts honor God, honor God and his creation or they dishonor God and his creation. So what we think matters because God cares about how we think about other people. And thirdly, uh, we are in a battle. Our mind is like a battlefield, and we could almost say that our mind is kind of like the high ground in this battle between Satan and God. Our mind can be under the Spirit's control and be used for blessing people and building God's kingdom or it can be uh, controlled by evil, evil passions and desires, which destroy relationships, trust, and destroy peace on the earth. Our patterns of thinking are either a protection against these kinds of harmful, uh, these kinds of devastating problems, or they're a foothold for the enemy in our lives. So what we think matters because it influences the outcome of this battle that we're in. This morning, I would like to look at uh, three different passages about the mind and several different kinds of thoughts that we can have and struggle with. And then towards the end, uh, what are some ways that we can try to overcome these thoughts? You can turn to Philippians 3, actually turn to Philippians 4, and we'll begin at the beginning of the chapter. I'm going to start reading at Philippians 4, verse 2. And this passage talks about a number of different kinds of thoughts, but perhaps the focus is anxious thoughts. We can be anxious about a lot of things. We can be anxious about our future. What are we going to do when we graduate? Um, are we going to get married? Who are we going to marry? What kind of work are we going to do? What's our career going to be? Uh, what's going to happen to 
our family, our church. We can be anxious about our abilities or our failures, our lack of ability. Uh, why We can compare ourselves to other people and, and wonder, why can't I do this like them? Um, why am I not better at this? Why do I keep failing? We can be anxious about our responsibilities. How am I ever going to uh, be a good father, a good teacher, a good preacher? Um, we can be concerned about our families. Uh, will, they, will our children make good choices? What will they do when they grow up? What's going to happen to them? Who's going to take care of them? Who's going to take care of my parents when they get old? Um, and if I missed something here uh, in this list of things we can be anxious about, it doesn't really matter because Paul says in verse 6, be anxious for nothing, and that pretty much covers everything. You know, Paul, he had concern for all the churches. So I think we can be confident that there's a difference between a healthy concern and anxious thoughts. Perhaps anxious thoughts are when our concern becomes, uh, gets out of control, becomes consuming, and um, is no longer, uh, it's no longer helpful to us or the situation. So let's read this passage starting at uh, verse 2 in Philippians 4. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. These anxious thoughts that we can have, uh, sometimes they're focused on ourselves, just self-centered. Thoughts of, of um, wondering, am I good enough? Do people like me? Uh, can I can I do what I'm what I've been asked to do? Um, sometimes there are thoughts that are focused on the the challenges around us, and we're overwhelmed by all of the challenges around us. Kind of like Peter when he stepped out onto the water and suddenly saw all the waves around him. But regardless of whether our anxious thoughts come from a self-centeredness or a focus on the challenges around us, the answer is the same. We should take everything to God and, and leave it there. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Leaving everything in God's hands and not forgetting to thank him for the good things that, that we do have, the things that are going right. 
And in verse, verse 8, Paul talks about the things that we should be thinking about. Take our anxious thoughts, give them to God, and then here's what you should be thinking. Things that are true. Uh, thinking that aligns with the truth of God's word. Today, it seems like uh, almost more than ever, our society is, is uh, entertaining thoughts that are contrary to God's word and is, is willing to accept things that are not true. We need to make sure that we're firmly grounded in the true things of God's word. Whatever is noble... In the King James, I believe it says whatever is honest. And I looked up this word. It's used for, this Greek word is used four times in the New Testament. Uh, it's used by Timothy when he refers to deacons and their wives. And that's translated as grave. Titus also says that older men are to be grave. So it seems like this word noble is referring to kind of a seriousness of thought. Um, humor has a place and it's good. But I think this is talking about a seriousness, lack of foolishness, silliness, not allowing ourselves to be just distracted, entertained, um, distracted by entertainment, but a seriousness about life, taking life seriously. What is just, in a broader sense, this could be what's righteous or thinking fairly about other people, not holding others to a higher standard than we hold ourselves to. Not looking down on other people, but thinking about others in a just way. Whatever is pure, no enjoyment of sinful thoughts or fantasies, no pleasure in contemplating the sinful life of others. Thinking what is clean, thinking pure thoughts. Whatever is lovely, I'm not exactly sure what Paul had in mind here. I don't believe this word is used anywhere else in the, in the New Testament. Perhaps, maybe this is, this is my thought, perhaps it's a, an appreciation for beauty, just thinking about lovely things, beauty in nature, beauty in um, man's creativity, thinking on what is lovely. And whatever is of good report, think about things that would not embarrass us if everybody else knew what we were thinking. Think about what is commendable. Whatever is virtuous and praiseworthy, just think about the good things around us. You know, there's so much evil and darkness in our world, sometimes it's hard to not think about it. But our focus should be on, on the good around us, the true things in God's word and on good thoughts. You can turn to... Colossians 3 for our next passage. And this passage talks about what we do, say, and think. And it shows us in a very practical way what life looks like when our minds are set on things above. In Philippians, perhaps we could say the focus was on anxious thoughts. In this passage, the focus is more on angry thoughts, um, relationships with other people, and it also talks about unclean thoughts, 
Um, so if you want to keep your little A thing going, anxious, angry, and, and we could say adulterous, or just impure, immoral thoughts in general. So let's, let's read Colossians 3, starting at verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, think those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not, do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. I'll read through verse 17. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In this passage, we have a list, several lists of things we have a list of, of wrong things, wrong actions, attitudes, thoughts that we are to put to death. Uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. These are wrong thoughts that war against our spiritual life, and they should be put to death. We are to put off certain things. In verse 8, put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy language. And then as we are renewed in our minds, in, our, in, in knowledge, um, according to Jesus, the image of Jesus, the image of God, we are to put on these, these other lists, this other list of things. Tender mercy, kindness, humility, forgiving others, just as Jesus forgave us. And... It mentions it here again. It mentioned it in Philippians that there's a peace that comes from this kind of life. Verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I think this gives us some clues to what our reward is and 
perhaps the method of, of accomplishing this, uh, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, this is, these are ways to help foster good thoughts in our minds, these kind of attitudes that Paul asks us to put on. Now I would like to look at some, some ways that perhaps we can overcome wrong thoughts. And some of these are mentioned in these passages we looked at. I did mention we'd look at three passages, and there's, there's a third one we'll look at towards the end. But what are some ways that we can overcome wrong thoughts? And I'd like to go back to this illustration that I started with in children's class. One of the ways that we can overcome wrong thoughts is by guarding the entrance to our mind. Our ears and our eyes are entrances into our mind. Are we reading books, visiting websites, listening to music, attending events that fill our minds with good thoughts or evil thoughts? David said in Psalm 101, Verse 3, he said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. He realized how damaging that is to his, to his spiritual condition. Do we jump at every wrong thought that seeks entrance into our mind and wrestle it back to the entrance and kick it out? We must vigilantly guard the entrance to our minds. When I was probably in my late teens, I developed a bad habit of listening to country music when I was driving around. I had got my license recently and I had a lot of time alone in, in my car. And I would flip from station to station and I, the songs were kind of catchy. And this went on for some time. And eventually I, I stopped and I thought, is this helping me in my spiritual life in any way? Is this giving me good thoughts? And it was also dangerous. I was flipping through stations when I should have been focusing on where I was driving. And I came to the conclusion that this is helping me in no way spiritually. And I stopped. And it's not always easy to break habits like that. Not all habits are as easy to break. But are we looking at our lives carefully and thinking about what we're feeding our minds. Are, are we vigilantly guarding the entrance to our minds and wrestling out anything that is contributing impure, anxious, angry, unhealthy thoughts into our minds? So guard the entrance. Keep those negative thoughts out. Another way to overcome wrong thoughts is by continually cleaning out our minds. Um, guarding the interior of our minds just like those bees needed to guard the interior of their hive. Give sinful and unhealthy thoughts no place to stay. Sometimes we may have thoughts that begin as legitimate feelings or thoughts. Perhaps it's an anger frustration over a situation. Perhaps it's concern, legitimate concern. Perhaps it's grief. But these thoughts, while they may not start out 
as wrong thoughts, if they're left to dwell, to stay in our mind and set up residence there, they can be a problem. In Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul said, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And he's saying that we need to daily cleanse our mind of these wrong, angry thoughts. And if we don't, it gives the devil a little foothold in our life if we harbor these thoughts. Jesus, he had a similar teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, go take care of that matter and then come and offer your gift. Deal with things. Things between brothers get in the way of our relationship with God and that needs to be put on hold. We need to deal with our thing and, and then continue with our gift at the altar. When, when you have a disagreement with the brother, Jesus said, agree with your adversary in the way. That seems to be saying quickly, do it right away. Take care of things. Don't let them have a foothold in our mind. Just like those beetles that were hanging on, hanging around. Um, they need to, these, these parasitic thoughts need to be cleansed out of our minds. If allowed to stay, this, what initially started as a legitimate anger or frustration, perhaps may turn into bitterness or malice, or perhaps um, it could turn into anxious worry. Our concern, our legitimate concern could turn into anxious worry. In a book I read the other year about learning how to learn, that was the title of it, I forget the author, but the author made the point that when we're trying to study, it's not healthy to cram the day before a test. And we probably all know that intuitively. She said, it's much better to study, sleep, study, sleep. And as we sleep, our brains kind of solidify this knowledge that we, we take in and it, we, it sticks better. Well, I think the same truth applies in a negative sense when we harbor wrong thoughts in our minds by sleeping on them, keeping them, thinking about them. They become more and more solidified in our mind. They take up residence there and it's not healthy. So we've looked at two ways to overcome wrong thoughts. Guarding the entrance and giving no wrong thoughts a place to stay, dealing with them quickly. The third area is filling our minds with good. In Matthew 15, verse 17, starting in verse 17, the scribes and the Pharisees confronted Jesus because his disciples weren't washing their hands. And Jesus responded to them, and then later, his disciples were asking about what he said and, and wanted it explained. And Jesus explained a little farther, and he said, it's not what comes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of him. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, murders, adulteries, fornications, etc. 
And so I think we can't just focus on external things. We can't just focus on bad thoughts. Just like those bees were helpless, um, or just like, just like the, the danger came from within, we have to make sure that we're filled with good so that the evil has no place to reside in us. And that's the best protection against the evil. We can't just completely eliminate harmful influences out of our life. When Merle Burkholder was here, he talked some about thinking, and he used this illustration. Well, he used a illustration. I'll use a different one. But think for just a second here. I hope Milo's okay with this. But think for just a second of Milo sitting right up here in the front of the auditorium on a pink unicorn. Okay, just picture that. And now stop thinking about that. And let's just not think about that anymore. Well, sometimes thoughts can be very pesky things. And the more we try to avoid thinking about them, they're just right there. And so we cannot just focus on the wrong and the bad. We have to replace it with the good. And that's what I want to look at in this, this last section. I feel like there's, there's two ways that we, we can fill our mind with good. One is filling our minds with God's truth. We should meditate on God's truth, meditate on God's word. Like it said in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The more familiar we are with God's truth, the less susceptible we'll be to deception. And when Christ's life and teachings are really fresh in our mind, we can more easily recognize when there's patterns of thought either in our life or in others uh, that, that don't line up with what Christ is teaching. And in fact, often it's easier to recognize it in others. Uh, so that's something to guard against too, that we're uh, treating others fairly, not only seeing the mistakes in others and not ourselves. In Psalm 119, verse 9, it's the beginning of a few verses that, that talk about I think the attitude we should have towards God's word, towards God's truth, that will help us fill our minds with, with good things. Psalm 119, starting at verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart have I sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Here we see someone who's just delighted in God's word someone who spends a lot of time thinking about it, meditating on it, contemplating it, someone who says they won't forget it, someone who's hidden it in his heart. And I don't know that if anybody knows if this was David or not, I think there's some disagreement about that. 
But that's the kind of attitude we want to have towards God's word. And if we can memorize it, that's good too. Memorizing makes it readily available to us to be used in a moment of temptation. When we've memorized scripture, it's readily available for the spirit to use to remind us in a time of temptation. Find my spot here. There was a time when I was younger that I was facing a time of temptation with my thoughts and I memorized Philippians 4.8, which is the, the verse on the board here. And it's a familiar verse. But when I would face temptation and would catch myself with a, a thought that was not good, I would recite this to myself and it would get my mind off of what I was thinking and remind me, is this thought, does it line up with this? Is it true? Is it noble? And I could say, no, it's not. And, and that didn't eliminate my temptation, but it, it helped. Memorizing scripture, reminding us of God's truth is a way to ward off temptation. And I think we should also, another way to have God's truth in our lives is to converse with mature Christian friends. We need people around us who we can share our anxious and troubled thoughts with so they don't just turn around in our minds endlessly. We need people around us who won't just tell us what makes us feel good, won't just validate all of our feelings, but who will encourage us with truth in love, who will remind us of these true, solid things that we find in God's word when our thinking is a little bit off and unrealistic or not according to scripture. Sometimes when I have uh, a sermon that's coming up on the calendar a whole lot quickly than the sermon in my notebook, I need Ashley, my wife, to remind me that if you just study hard, put in your time, you can trust God to give you something to share. And I need that reminder to calm me down. And it's, it'll be okay. I need to do my part and trust God for the rest. Sometimes we need somebody who will just listen to us and just help us sort through our confused thoughts. I know for me sometimes that's been Brandon. I'll have these thoughts going around and around in my mind and trying to make sense of the way life is and why things happen the way they did and, and whose fault is it. And sometimes I just need someone to talk to, someone to listen to me and let me sort it out. So I'd like to think, we, we all have friends here and other places, family, but I'd like to think that our church could be that kind of a, a place where we have friends that are close enough that we can share our anxious thoughts with, friends that can help remind us about truth and, and take us back to the truth of God's word. Fi our final, my final point in uh, filling our minds with good things will be taken from Romans. So you can flip to Romans 7. And while you're doing that, I will finish the, the story about the happy little beehive that wasn't so happy anymore. So remember, this, this hive had run out of honey. The happy little hive got run over by beetles. And more and more beetles were coming in by the day 
The hive began to stink from all the dead bees and all the rotting, decaying bees. And the beekeeper realized that no amount of honey was going to turn this thing around. So the beekeeper took the hive outside, opened it up, removed all the frames, shook out all the bees and all the beetles, tried to crush as many beetles as possible. Actually, before he did that, he safely plucked the queen off and set her in a safe place. And then replaced those nasty, decaying, rotting frames with fresh frames from a new, hive, a different hive, a healthy hive. Frames that were full of honey, frames that had healthy brood developing and growing, frames that were covered with healthy bees and filled the hive up with these healthy frames and then closed it up, put the queen back in and closed it all up and, and put the hive back in its spot. Well, all those bees who had gotten shaken out on the ground, they flew back up into the air and went back to their hive. And when they got back in, they found that everything was new and clean and that there was life in the hive again. Once more, it was a happy little hive enjoying the spring weather. You all turned to uh, Romans 7, and I didn't. So in Romans 7 and 8, we have a contrast. In, in chapter 7, we have the hopelessness and the frustration of trying to live a good life under our own power. And in 8, this is contrasted with the victory that we can experience under the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We have a contrast of walking according to the flesh and walking according to the Spirit. And not everybody agrees or about what chapter 7 is talking about. Was this Paul before his conversion, after his conversion? Probably all of us can identify with this to some extent, some point in our lives. And we can all agree that we don't want to live here in this place of frustration, trying to be good under our own power. And we can all agree that Jesus is the, the answer. Jesus is the way out. So I'd like to start at verse 8. Actually, maybe I'm just going to just start at verse 8, and I'll just go over a few highlights here. In chapter 7, verse 8, we see that sin produces all kinds of evil desires in us. And then in, in verse 13, God's law shows us how wrong and truly sinful, truly evil this sin is. And moving on to verse 23, we realize that the law of God is good and holy, but we struggle to live it out. We recognize that these things are wrong, but our bodies enjoy sin and we struggle to live the life that we want to live. And so we're, we find ourselves in a real predicament. We know the way things should be. We know what we want to do but we just can't seem to do it. And Paul says, O wretched man that I am, in verse 24, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
And I would liken this to that poor rotting hive that was hopeless to save itself, to cleanse itself on its own power. But fortunately, like that hive, we have hope. In verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is our answer. We have somebody who can clean us from this mess we're in. And in chapter 8, we see a contrast between walking according to the flesh and according to the spirit. Those who walk according to the flesh, in verse 1, it says they are, well, it says there's no condemnation for those who walk according to the spirit. So the inverse, there is condemnation for those who are walking according to the flesh. Verse 5, those who are walking according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Verse 6, those who walk according to the flesh are carnally minded. And to be carnally minded is death. It's enmity against God. And in verse 8, it's impossible to please God in this way. So that's, that's the negative side. But then walking according to the Spirit is a totally different picture. In verse 1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk accord, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In verse 2, we're free from the law of sin and death when we walk according to the Spirit. In verse 4, the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled. And those who walk according to the Spirit, in verse 5, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In verse 6, they receive peace and life. In verse 9, they are indwelled by the Spirit of God and belong to God. And in verse 11, they receive life through the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. So we see in, in this passage that we are powerless to live this good life that we want to live by ourselves. We need the Spirit power working through us. And verse 5 talks about, it says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And I'm not sure if he's saying that when the Spirit is in us, then our minds are set on the Spirit, or if our minds are set on the Spirit, then it allows the Spirit to work in us. It's probably both are true. When the Spirit is in us, we are empowered to do what is right, and we are motivated to pursue the things of the Spirit. When we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, it also allows, opens ourselves up to the power of the Spirit and allows the Spirit to fill us and to work through us. And so we're working together with the Spirit, but... On our own, we're powerless to do what God asks us to do. So this has been a challenge to me to set my mind on the things of the Spirit and to allow Him to control my thoughts, control my desires, control my affections, 
and to just give him control of my life. So reviewing a bit, our thoughts do matter because God wants all of us and we're in a battle and our thoughts affect the outcome of this battle that we're in. When we find ourselves with wrong thoughts, unhealthy thoughts, wrong thoughts, sinful thoughts running through our mind, we must be careful to guard our entrance. We need to ask ourselves, am I allowing things into my life that are feeding wrong thoughts? Am I guarding the entrance to my mind? We must give unhealthy thoughts no place to stay, no place to set up residence, no place to start a family in our minds. Am I holding on to things that I should let go? There's one more really interesting fact about these small hive beetles, these little black beetles. And when they're, when they're trapped in a corner, they will actually sometimes use their little antennas to tickle the antennas of the bees guarding them and convince the bees guarding them to feed them. And sometimes we're like that as well. We harbor these thoughts and it, it feels good. We get some kind of pleasure out of them, not realizing that we're, we're damaging ourselves. So are we, are we giving these thoughts a place to stay, a place to put, keep residence in our hearts, or are we kicking them out of our minds? We can't only focus on the negative and the bad and keeping the bad out and getting rid of bad thoughts. We must, re, we must fill our minds with good so that there is no room for bad. We must fill our minds with God's truth, eliminating the bad by f replacing it with good. We must let the spirit control our mind because we're powerless on our own. We can't be righteous on our own power, but we have to let the spirit fill our minds and our lives. And then the result is life and peace. And I'd like to, to conclude with this verse from Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Thank you.